Philippians 3.17, one verse for now. Brethren and cistern, be followers together of me, and mark them which walk, so as you have us for an example, an example. God bless you, you may be seated. So I want to talk to you tonight, the making of a disciple, part three, and the focus tonight is on the idea of Mark's of maturity, marks of maturity. So real quick review, and for all the teachers here, I really have never enjoyed going to a class, and the teacher spent most of the class reviewing what he or she said of class before. So I don't do long reviews, but review is good, right? Apostle Peter, as long as I'm in this flesh, I'm going to remind you. So we talked in the first message what a disciple is, a learner, a pupil, for us a follower of Jesus Christ. And discipleship is that lifelong process of spiritual development leading toward Christ's likeness. That's the picture of what we want to become. Amen? Jesus said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. So we broke that verse down, Matthew 4.19, that we should follow Jesus Christ. And I mentioned that if you tell me who you're following... I'll tell you where you're going. And if you'll tell me who you're following, I'll tell you what you are becoming. And I may say that later in my message again tonight where it fits. Jesus said, I will make you. So that's the process that we cannot be self-made disciples of Jesus Christ. We put forth effort, but it is only by the grace of God. Paul had this conundrum, I would say, I am what I am by the grace of God and You know, but I labored more abundantly than they all, yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. He was trying to say, I did my best, but even at my best, it was God who worked with me, right? So it's a cooperative effort between our will and God's work in our lives. Jesus said, I will make you, and I will make you fishers of men. You will not follow him very far until he leads you to a lost soul. Last week, I spoke on the subject of patience with the process. That maturing as a disciple is a process. It is lifelong. If it ends before you die, you quit. You checked out of the course. You flunked it. But you stay in that class as long as you have breath. And I went through the 12 apostles of Jesus Christ, 12 ordinary men, and pointed out several characteristics that proved that they were people just like you and me. And then I spend some time on Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus as examples of how secret disciples became open disciples and how that process had to unfold and that God was patient with them. So last week I spoke on this process of becoming a disciple, a process that never ends as long as you have breath. I I saw a definition of spiritual maturity that I wanted to put in my notes just for you to kind of think about, that spiritual maturity is the development of Christ-like character and behavior. So it's internal character and the behavior that that character produces. You've got Jesus on the inside working on the outside, right? We used to sing that song. Christ-like character and behavior in the Christian, that's you and me, through a renewed mind and a tested faith. I thought that was very powerful because it is a trial of our faith that works patience and works the character of Christ in us. Now, I believe that spiritual maturity is possible, but it is not automatic. It is promised 
if we stay in the process. If you read the King James Bible, I grew up on the King James. I triangulate verses, which means I look at them from other translations and commentaries to make sure that I'm not abusing the intent of a scripture. But unless there's a vast difference, I I just think in King James, I quote King James, and it just works for me, and that way I can explain it rather than read the NLT, and you wouldn't have to come to church, right? I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. Uh, But I'm not opposed to accurate modern translations that are more in our vernacular. But uh, you see the word perfection in the King James. And most of the time, not always, but most of the time it speaks of a completion, a maturity, not perfection in the sense that we would see Jesus Christ as flawless, impeccable in his character, right? We are not who he was, but we can reach spiritual maturity. And one of the things I discovered uh, as the last three weeks or so, maybe a month, I've been kind of working on this series, that there are way too many passages about spiritual maturity. So I cannot get to all of them tonight, and I made a conscious decision to not keep you here all night, or at least I would be standing here alone (laughs) while you were home. So I want to just, I want to give you these passages. Uh, I may get to this first one, but probably not. Hebrews Chapter 5, verse 10, all the way through Hebrews chapter 6, verse 3. And I want to give you a key verse, Hebrews 5, 14. But strong meat belongeth to them that are of full age, even those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. That entire passage is when the writer of Hebrews says, for the time you've been living for God all this time now, and you should be teaching other people, but you still need someone to teach you the ABCs, the the basic principles. And he walks him through that and explains what maturity is, and then he tells us we should anchor in these foundational doctrines and then go on into perfection in the King James. That's that word, to full growth and maturity. So then the next passage uh, that I plan to not cover is Hebrews 4, excuse me, not Hebrews, Ephesians 4, 11 through 15. A key verse is verse 13, Ephesians 4, 13. Till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man. There's that idea again. It just means full grown. If you think about the goal of a baby is to grow into maturity as a man or woman, physical maturation, you know, Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and favor with God and man. I think that's Luke 2.52. But he increased in those four dimensions of life. And to grow up, that's what we want to do. Wisdom, stature, physical growth, favor with God, relationships with God, and favor with man, relationships with people. All of that is part of the maturation process. And Jesus experienced that. So we want to grow to the perfect man unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Now, my wife and I are grandparents, and the way I can prove it is there is is an opening between our kitchen and our living room, and it has kind of an off-white paint on it, whatever the real color is, Brother Manley could tell you, and there are marks there, pencil marks on the wall. We don't care. this This is to mark the growth of our grandchildren. And it doesn't bother us at all that those 
lines are there. Now, for those of us, you know, my boys and me, those marks never move very much, but that's okay. <laughs> We're proud to see somebody making progress. And when Rhett was here at Thanksgiving, there was his old mark for the last time he came, and he just is shot up. He's grown so very much. But that's the idea. There's a measure, and it's the stature of the fullness of Christ to grow up to be like him in our character and in our conduct. Ephesians 4 deals with that. John 15 is another passage where Jesus talks about fruit bearing. I'm the vine, you're the branches. If you, unless you abide in me, you can't do anything, right? Key verse, John 15, 16. I want you to just have these passages to be able to do further study uh, to, on this idea, because I don't think we'll revisit it, although we might. John 15, 16. You have not chosen me, but I have chosen you and ordained you that you should go and bring forth fruit and that your fruit should remain, that whatsoever you shall ask of the Father in my name, he may give it you. Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 through 25. But the key verses are 22 and 23 about the fruit of the Spirit. Now, typically, no one person operates in all of the gifts of the Spirit. All right? Prophecy, tongues, interpretation of tongues, discerning of spirits, word of knowledge, word of wisdom, the working of miracles, faith. Typically, no person has all of that because there, there are different ways God operates. And He gives them unto us severally or individually as He will, 1 Corinthians 12 tells us. But the fruit of the Spirit is mentioned like a singular. It would be the attributes of a single piece of fruit. You could say that an apple has skin and it's the color and it has the, the, the pulp or meat inside and the seed and the stem and all the different attributes of that fruit. It's taste, it's whatever the properties of that fruit are. So the Spirit produces this fruit in every one of us. No one should be able to say... And this is Galatians 5, 22 and 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. Temperance, self-control. So we don't really have an excuse to say, well, like the gifts of the Spirit, I've got a lot of peace, but I have no joy. I've got a lot of gentleness, but I have no self-control. You see... All of these are attributes of what the Spirit produces in a mature disciple. One other verse, and well, actually there's two, but first, 2 Peter, 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 1 through 10. Now you know why I'm not going to try to drill down into these passages because it would take hours and hours. 2 Peter 1 and 8 uh, is kind of the key verse. For if these things be in you and abound, he tells us to add Right? Add to this, add to that. They make you that you shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then verse 10 says, If these things be in you, you will never fall. What a promise. Amen. Not unconditional eternal security, but secure in your relationship with God that you don't, I don't have to backslide. I can go from here to heaven. Amen. Romans 15, I already read Romans 15, 1. We then that are strong ought to bear the infirmities of the weak and not to please our own selves. Spiritually mature people are conscious of others. 
They're not selfish people. And then there's a prayer for growth in Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 through 21. For this cause I bow my knee unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And he prays that they would know the breadth and length and depth and height and to know the love of Christ that passes knowledge, that we might be filled with all the fullness of God. So that's that prayer of Paul for the Ephesians. So that's, that's a lot of passages of Scripture. And really, if you think about it, both the Old Testament and the New Testament is designed to help us be mature Christians. You say the Old Testament, yes, Paul said that all these things that were written aforetime were for our examples, for our learning, that we wouldn't make the same mistakes that these Old Testament characters made. So the Old Testament and the New Testament are written so we can be like our great God, like Jesus Christ, that we can be mature. Philippians chapter 3, that's our text, and this is where we're going to spend the rest of our time, most likely. If we get past that, we'll go to Hebrews 5, but I doubt it. Philippians 3. Paul opens the window to his mind. And under the unction of the Spirit, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. It's not Paul just randomly writing. He's writing as he's moved on by the Holy Ghost. He, he lets us see the motivation of his life. So here we go. Philippians 3, verse 7. We'll see these verses. And right now this is background to kind of get us to the heart of the text. But I want you to see how he's thinking. But what things were gained to me, those I counted lost for Christ. Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but lost for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung or rubbish, that I may win Christ. So here's Paul. He comes to Jesus Christ. He's a Pharisee of the Pharisees, a Hebrew. He's blameless. He's a very strict Jew, but he just realizes that all of that righteousness that is that man made, that he was all by his effort, didn't do anything to make him a Christian. Verse 9, and be found in him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. So now he compares what we could accomplish in our own energy the law, you know. The Old Testament law was perfect in concept. But the failure was the weakness of the flesh. That we could not live the law because we didn't have the ability to do that. Read Romans 7. Read the book of Galatians. You can't begin in the spirit and be perfected in the flesh. So Paul is saying this. I had my righteousness, but now I've got the righteousness that comes to me by the faith by faith in Christ Jesus. But it is not a lower standard. It's actually a, a higher standard that the Spirit enables us to have. Read the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, 7. The New Testament, Jesus takes us to a higher level, not just the action level, but attitudes, the inward man. Jeremiah said he would write his law in our hearts. So instead of it being on fleshly tables of stone imposed on us, and live just by our own discipline. Now we have the Spirit to make us disciples of Jesus Christ. Verse 10. That I may know Him. And the power of His resurrection. 
and the fellowship of His sufferings, being made conformable unto His death. These extremes of power and suffering, if by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead. If we really come to know Jesus Christ and be His disciples, a mark of maturity is you don't just know Him in power. You don't just know Him when things are great. But you also know Him in the fellowship of His sufferings. You identify with the weaknesses of life. Paul said, I bear in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus. He knew what it was like to suffer for the name of Jesus Christ. And the Bible said that all those that live godly in this world are going to suffer persecution, right? There's a whole lot of that in the Bible. Verse 12. Not as though I had already attained. So Paul's saying, I want to attain unto the resurrection of the dead. But just in case you think I'm bragging, just in case you think I feel like I've arrived, Paul is saying something that I would think all of us would confess as well, that we've not arrived. And if you have, you're at the wrong destination. Okay? You're at the wrong spot. That's a spot called self-righteousness, which is a very bad spot to be. Okay. Not as though I had already attained. Either were already perfect, but I follow after that if that I may apprehend that, for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. Brethren and sisters, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. So I want to break these verses down. The word perfect here in the Greek is to finish, okay? So I'm not already perfect, he said. I haven't finished, but I am still striving. If you could see the end of the race where you're going to cross the finish line, Paul says, I haven't gotten there yet. In this passage, he's using the imagery of a race. So his goal is to become what God had in mind for him when he was apprehended on the road to Damascus. You may remember that story in Acts chapter 9. He's going to persecute Christians in Damascus. A bright light about noonday knocks him to the ground. Who are you, Lord? I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. It is hard for you to kick against these ox goes of conviction that are working in your life. My paraphrase of that that doesn't do it injustice. I'm Jesus. Who are you, Jehovah? I am Jesus. That's a good verse to help you understand the oneness of God, that that God came in flesh, amen? God was manifested in the flesh. So, and then Paul said, what do you want me to do? Who are you and what do you want me to do? What would thou have me do? Now, Paul said, when the Lord apprehended me, he tackled me, sort of, you know, on the road to Damascus. And when he apprehended me, He had something in mind for me. I mean, he told Ananias that he would suffer. He would stand before kings. Paul knew somewhat of where his life would go from the beginning. And God, when he apprehended Paul, he had a picture of Paul in perfection or Paul in maturity, Paul at the finish line. 
And Paul said, I'm reaching for that. I'm following after that. I'm trying to become the man, and for you it may be the woman, that God had in mind for me when he saved me. Not the, what he had in mind for the person down the row from you, but what he had in mind for you. And character, it's the character of Christ. In conduct, it's the conduct of Christ. But in ministry and who you are, God saw something in you and he wanted you to become. And Paul said, I have not apprehended that, but this is my life goal. That I may apprehend that for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. In order to obtain that, Paul said, I follow after. I'm chasing that. I'm in pursuit of that. I'm racing toward that. And he said, I have a mindset that allows me to get there. Forgetting those things which are behind. And reaching forth unto those, unto those things which are before, I press. So, he has this secret. That if you live in the past, you'll return there. For Paul, he had a past of righteousness in Judaism and, and a position perhaps on the Sanhedrin. He gave his voice against those that called for the martyrdom of Stephen, you know, kind of indicating he may have been on the Sanhedrin, that 70 men ruling body of the Jews. But Paul said, you know, I've forgotten that. But he also had some other things to forget how he compelled men to blaspheme. And he held the coats of those that stoned Stephen to death. He had blood on his hands. He said, it is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. He said, I was a blasphemer, but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. Paul said, I am what I am by the grace of God. And so Paul said, I've got a secret to living that I forget those things which are behind. I don't rest on the accolades of the past, nor do I let the failures of the past pull me back there. I've let go of them, and I'm reaching for the future. God has something in mind for me. So I'm not going to grovel in my past. I'm not going to glory in my past. I'm going to reach for the man that God wants me to be in my future. Hallelujah. I press. I press. He's leaning into the wind. Think of a runner running into the wind. I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling or the upward calling of God in Christ Jesus. There are times in Scripture that Paul sees himself as a warrior. Other times he sees himself as an athlete. He uses these illustrations to help us see some of the most disciplined and motivated people in the world. Warriors and athletes who will do anything they can to try to win. And Paul said, we're not going after a corruptible crown. We're after a crown that doesn't fade away, an incorruptible wreath, right? They would run for a, for a wreath that would be placed on their head that would, would basically die after a while. But what Jesus Christ will give us is an incorruptible crown. His chief goal is not to be a preacher, it's to be saved. And I want to show you another verse. So we're interrupting Ephesians, right? To go to 1 Corinthians 9, verse 24. Know you not that they which run in a race run all, and one receiveth the prize. In those days in the Isthmian games that would have taken place at Corinth, they didn't have gold, silver, bronze. It was just winner take all. Paul said one receives the prize, so run 
that you may obtain. Run like that. Live your life as a Christian, like an athlete that knows there's only one that's going to win, and you better give it your best, and everybody else is a loser. Now, any of us, all of us, can attain that crown, but you have to run like it's all up to you. Interesting story, when I was general youth president, we had a theme for Sheaves for Christ called So Run. And it was very powerful. I preached So Run. I probably preached it here years ago. And we had watches made that were called So Run. It had our logo and it showed a person running except the way that the graphic came out. It looked like that person's leg was missing from the knee down. So Run. I will never forget So Run that you may obtain. I will show you that watch one day, Brother Jerry. I have it in a drawer at home. And then he said, every man that striveth for the mastery is temperate, is disciplined in all things. Now they do it to obtain a corruptible crown. But we an incorruptible, I've already explained that. I therefore so run, not as uncertainly. Paul's not just out there jogging. He's not going outside the markers. It can mean several things. If you study this passage, he's, he's running for a goal. He's not aimlessly wandering, right? So he's the runner there. And he said, I, uh, so fight I, not as one that beateth the air. He's not shadow boxing. But Paul is saying, in my life, I'm very intentional because I want to make every punch count. Right? If you don't like fighting, Paul liked it, so I like it for right now. Because I'm left-handed, you know. There's people that joke around, this is two weeks in the hospital, this is sudden death, and that's a myth, believe me, but it sounds good right now. Paul said, in this fight of life, I'm not just flailing. You know people who are just flailing? They get up and they go to work and they come home, but they're just wandering, they're aimless. Even people that are, are Christians are followers of Jesus Christ. But Paul said, I'm not just out on a jog. I'm not just wandering aimlessly. I'm not just kind of shadow boxing for exercise. I'm in this to win. And I've got to make every punch count in my life if I'm going to obtain this prize. And then verse 27. But I keep under my body, bringing it unto subjection, lest that by any means when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. Now, those people back in the day would be under a pugilist, someone who would discipline and who would train them like a trainer for a boxer or for, for a runner, for whatever particular sport that was. But Paul said, I've got to be my own trainer. I've got to keep under my body one translation says, making it do what it should do, and this is my memory of that paraphrase, not what it wants to do. There's a lot of things you may feel to do that are not good to do. And if you live by your emotions, you won't live by the Scripture. If you go by your feelings, you will be an aimless wanderer, you will be a shadow boxer. But if you live by the Word of God and bring yourself, Paul said, I keep under my body. I realize that, that in my flesh there dwells no good thing. I've got I've to discipline my body so I can win. Amen. And more than preaching good sermons or writing books in the Bible, Paul said the most important thing to me is that when I've told others how to go to heaven, 
that I myself am not just cast away and lost. So walking with God must always be a higher priority than working for God. And I believe you can do both. Amen? I believe you can do both. And people who take long vacations from ministry typically struggle because God made us to fit in the body of Christ. And there is sickness and reasons and don't get on a guilt trip right now. I'm not trying to beat up on anybody, but I've observed this in my life. And you've heard this quote before by T.W. Barnes, the best I remember it. And I've been misquoted on social media trying to quote Brother Barnes, places where I've used this. But Brother Barnes said, many men have failed God working for God. But no man has ever failed God walking with God. So our walk and our work are both important. But working for God should be an outflow of our walk with God. As we walk with Him, we have the strength, the energy, and we don't just do it in the energy of the flesh by some external motivation or temporary or temporal reward, earthly reward. It should grow out of the depth of our walk with God. Years ago, I heard that ministry is not the performance of an hour, but it is the outflow of a life. That's what it should be. And that's how Paul felt about this. Placing maturity over ministry is a mark of maturity in itself. Philippians 3.15. Here we go. Moving on. Let us, therefore, as many as be perfect. I explained perfect at the beginning because I knew we would see it a few times. If, you've, if you're mature as a Christian, if you're mature, then let's, I want you to be thus minded. Now I understand the awkwardness of those, that phrase, but remember what he just said. If you're mature, I want you to think like I just told you to think about pressing for the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Not 1 Corinthians 9, but Philippians 3. Okay, back to this passage. And if anything you be, excuse me, and if in anything you be otherwise minded, God shall reveal even this to you. Now, Paul is saying if you're, if you're a mature Christian, if you're aiming for maturity, then you're going to seek being like Christ above all other things. And this mark of maturity, I'm talking about marks of maturity, is that there is a passion to be like Jesus. And I grew up, many of you grew up singing to be like Jesus, to be like Jesus. And we've sung, it seemed like every Wednesday night, we were going to sing, make me more like you. I still like that song around here because a lot of our teaching is to be like Jesus Christ. I mean, what else is there for, for us to grow up, to be like him? When you read back into this passage, you read about Paul's loss of all things and that knowing Jesus Christ involves the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His suffering. His pursuit of the heavenly goal is His highest priority in life. And He said, if you're thinking differently than that, well, I know God will reveal it unto you. If you're a slow learner, God will catch you. He'll get you up to speed. That's kind of what Paul is saying here. I'm telling you how to think, and if you don't think like this, God's going to help you because you need it, right? Maturity is not believing that you're a finished product. It is a pursuit of that finished product. And Paul would assert that a mark of maturity is reaching for the future, not living in the past. That's how Paul sees 
this spiritual maturity. If you have any other goal in your life or mindset, God needs to try to help you come along. So then he says in verse 16, and I'm sorry, this says no media, and that is my fault to our media team. I'm on verse 16. Nevertheless, whereunto we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule, let us mind the same thing. Thank you very much back there. The New Living Translation says, but we must hold on to the progress we've already made. I want to take a moment here because you know people who gain ground and then lose ground? Gain ground, lose ground. I think Chuck Swindoll wrote the book years ago, three steps forward, two steps back. There's some people that's one step forward, three steps back. They gain a little ground and they lose a lot of ground. But what Paul is saying here is wherever you are in this race, don't go back. Live, where, live on the level of your knowledge. And whatever you have attained in your walk with God, don't revert back to what you used to be. Hold that ground. Tie a knot in that rope you're climbing. Don't go below that rung of the ladder. However you want to visualize that marker in the race. He said, let us walk by the same rule and let us mind the same thing. Spiritually mature people, a mark of maturity is they don't just profess faith, they possess it. They actually live what they say they live. When they're away from church, when they're away from people they know, and they live it. And Paul makes it very clear that spiritual maturity is a qualification for leading others in ministry. So here is verse 17. Verse 17. Brethren and sisters, be followers together of me. Imitate me. And mark them which walk as so you have us for an example, an example. So, I think you know what Paul is saying. He said, I want you to find some people that are mature disciples. And I want you to follow them. And he said, I want you to follow me. Now, that's a bold statement to say, follow me, right? And the word in the Greek is imitate. Two other places in 1 Corinthians, Paul uses this idea of followers of me. So I just want to read them. You'll see them on the screens. 1 Corinthians 4.14 I write not these things to shame you, but as beloved sons, I warn you. For though you have 10,000 instructors in Christ, that have you not many fathers. For in Christ Jesus I have begotten you through the gospel. Wherefore I beseech you, be followers of me. Paul says to these Corinthians, I wasn't just a guest speaker, you know, just passing through. I wasn't somebody you saw on TV or on the internet or listened to on the radio. I wasn't just somebody that you casually met that met, that preached a masterpiece sermon that really moved you. Paul said, I came to your city. I worked by day and I preached by night. I spent 18 months there and through the gospel of Jesus Christ, I fathered you in the gospel. Through the gospel, I have begotten you. I have a relationship with you. I'm, I'm more to you than just somebody that's telling you what to do. I've lived with you. And he said, so, so you can follow me. You can trust me to follow me. 
But Paul's not there now. So he says, I need you to look around. And I need you to find some people that are trustworthy, that are mature. This is part of this passage. The marks of maturity. I want you to find some people. And I want you to mark them in your mind. That they're safe to follow. Amen. I've begotten you in the gospel. And this is where I want to remind you that if you tell me who you're following, I'll tell you where you're going. And if you tell me who you're following, I will tell you what you're becoming. I made a note here because I study and then I review. And so at 5.44 p.m., I looked at my, my phone. I felt a, like an anointing of the Holy Ghost right right at this point in my notes that came over me. And, and I added this in my notes. Be careful whose voice you allow in your life. I hope everything I've said is the Bible. You know, if, when people say, if you don't remember anything else I've said, remember this. I thought you could have saved us a lot of time and just told us that one thing and let us go home. Get to bed early. So I, I don't usually say if you forget everything else I said. But I feel especially strong at this point. I, it wasn't in my notes. I didn't plan to even say this. But don't be swayed by words. Follow the life of people who follow Jesus Christ, who are like Him, who preach and live the truth. I feel safe in saying that the Lord wanted me to warn somebody tonight about people who are influencing you in the wrong direction. I'm sure it's not somebody in the sanctuary, probably somebody watching online. If you're watching online, it's probably somebody in the sanctuary, right? You know that. You have to be careful not to confuse revelation with deception. They both sound intriguing. And Jesus said that my sheep know my voice. They will not follow a stranger. They do not know the voice of a stranger. They don't know that other voice. They know my voice, John 10, 4 and 5, and that's the voice they're going to follow. Make sure you know the voice that is speaking to you because the serpent can speak. You know that? And if you're confused, he can make a lot of sense. Oh, look at this fruit. It's desired to make one wise, good for fruit, pleasant to the eyes. He loves to speak to people when they are offended, when they're tempted, when they're disoriented, when they are separated or isolated. So Paul said, you need to find some people that you can trust. And you need to imitate their life. Now I know ultimately, those people, you know, Paul would say, this is my next verse from 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, Be ye followers of me, even as I also am of Christ. Don't follow me, if I quit following Jesus, if I quit following Christ, you go find someone who's following Him to be like Him. But let me just throw this out there too that just came to my mind. If you can't follow anybody, that's a problem too. You say, well, it's just me and God. We got this direct connect and I understand, I believe you can pray and I, I get that, Right? But if you can't find anybody that you trust and can follow, that's a dangerous place to be. So anyway, that was for free. You don't have to pay for that. So mature disciples are not afraid to invite others to follow them. Follow you where you go. Follow what you watch. Well, you read. 
Well, you listen to. Follow who you follow. Paul said, I want you to, I want you to mark those mature disciples because all of us need examples. Verse 17, again, I'm repeating it on purpose. Brethren, be followers together of me and mark them which walk so as you have us as in samples. This word mark means in the original to watch closely, pay attention to them and whoever you, you admire and follow, you will imitate and that's the idea. Imitate me as I imitate Christ. Now there's another place in the Bible, Romans 16, 17, where Paul says, I want you to mark them which, which cause divisions and offenses and avoid them. So there's some people that you mark off. You say, stay away from them, mark them, and then you mark these that you should follow, and both are very important to know so you don't get messed up on who to follow and who to avoid. Now I want to make a side note here. I grew up hearing an expression that said, you know, that familiarity breeds contempt. And I never liked that phrase. It's not in the Bible. I looked at today just to see who said it, and it's not important. But if you're contemptible, familiarity will breed contempt. But if you're a Christian, familiarity ought to breed or cause someone to be like Jesus. He wasn't afraid to get up close and personal with his disciples. He was not aloof. He was with them. He lived and walked with them. And they saw him in all kinds of scenarios of life. And if you were here on Sunday in the second service, I talked about the proximity of parents to their children and the contagious faith that they need to have. So let's be Christians, amen? Now, I'm going to wrap this up, verses 18 in 19, Paul said, for many walk, you know, he's talking about walking and walking with God and becoming like Jesus Christ. Now he's going to give us the other side of this. For many walk, of whom I have told you often, and now tell you even weeping, that they are enemies of the cross of Christ. To be a disciple of Jesus, you have to take up your cross and follow him. Selflessness, self-denial. The essence of discipleship, right? And I believe that the cross and the life of a believer is the test of complete obedience to the will of God. It is being willing to do whatever He asks of you without hesitation. There's no, no. You don't say, no, Lord. They don't go together, right? You say, yes, Lord. And anyway, Paul says, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, and whose glory is in their shame, who mind earthly things. See, Paul said, there are some people you really need to watch out for. And here's who they are. They live in a way that makes themselves an enemy of self-denial, of holiness, of Christ-likeness. He said, I've warned you about them many times. He said, he must have told them when he was there, watch out, watch out, watch out. So I've told you often before about these people. Their lives undermine the purpose of the cross. And so he says to them, about these people, that they are enemies of the cross, that their end is destruction. They serve their own appetites. Everything they do is about me. Whatever makes them happy, their God is their belly. Their glory is in their shame. They're proud of things that they do that are ungodly. And many people say that, well, I'm free in Christ. I can do this. The blood has covered it all. And their God is their belly. Their glory is in their shame. And then they mind earthly things. 
And we have to take care of earthly things. Anybody ever get a flat tire? Have an appliance breakdown in your house? Have to go to work? Have to, you know, take care of stuff? Those are earthly things. But Paul said there's this preoccupation with success, with life. They're entangled by the affairs of this life. The deceitfulness of riches choked them out. Jesus spoke about that in Matthew 13 and parables of the kingdom. It's possible for, for life to just choke out the life of God. Amen? Amen? So let me give a summary. If you don't mind, stand please. In light of this passage where Paul talks about forgetting the past and reaching for the future and pressing toward the mark and and walking and finding people. just want to ask you a few questions. You know, what really motivates you most? What most motivates you? And, and what is the prize that you are pursuing? And we're talking about marks of maturity tonight just from this passage. And I gave you other passages for self-study or maybe we'll talk about it in the future. But if someone follows you, where will they go? And if someone follows you, if someone imitates me, someone imitates you, what will they become? And then who are the mature people that you feel safe following? I think every one of us need to have some people that we trust and that are role models for us. It's our modern way of saying that. Those of us who aren't super young anymore, not super old, but not super young, a lot of my heroes are gone. They're dead. I could name them off to you, the men that I model my life after. Father, grandfather, ministers. And I realize that oh my goodness, I'm that person that someone else is probably following. John Maxwell said, if you want to know if you're a leader or not, just turn around. And if no one, no one is following you, you are not a leader. But if someone's following you, even one person, you're leading someone. So, we, we need people that we can look to they can be peers, but they're mature Christians that we can model our lives after. And then in the light of all of this, what, what, can, what can you do to be more spiritually mature, to be more like Jesus Christ? You know, from this passage and these other passages, what's, what's your homework? You got any homework from the Word of God tonight? For honest, we all do. And I hope you know, that it is a mark of maturity that we can become people that others can follow. And by following us, we will lead them to Jesus Christ. In salvation and in maturity. Amen.